Hello and welcome to the Talk Neuro to Me podcast. On this episode, we release from the Carrick Institute Vault, Professor Carrick's discussion on eccentric and concentric exercises. In this episode, Professor Carrick discusses the benefits of eccentric and concentric exercises on general health as well as its benefits in defeating coronary artery disease and type 2 diabetes. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good day, people. I've been asked to talk about things that you can get your neurological patients to do with a little effort that's going to give them great results. And, of course, that's a little bit difficult for a lot of us to think of, something that is not so time-consuming but should give some changes in people's lives. And, of course, there are many, many things that um, that we can do, from eye exercises to changes in a variety of habits. But very, very uh, recently, there's been a lot of really good evidence talking about exercise and just like a, a weekly bout of exercise, not a whole load every day that might be sufficient to induce some uh, changes in uh, changes in health. And really very, very interesting. We can see uh, some work that's coming out of Greece by uh, Vasilis Paschalis and his group there that talks about eccentric exercises over uh, concentric exercises. And basically, what they were able to do is, is find something that was very significant, and they published a wonderful paper recently in Medicine, Science, and Sports Exercise. And they found that just a one little uh, grouping of eccentric exercise was very sufficient to induce health-promoting effects. Now, that is really great because it means that your patients don't have to do exercises every day uh, as long as they do it properly. Well, with this study, uh, what they did is they just took 20 women and they used these Cybex machines, these isokinetic machines, and they compared concentric versus eccentric uh, types of exercises. And they used the knee extensors only of both lower limbs uh, once a week for eight uh, subsequent weeks. How neat is that? Well, what they did is they looked at the muscle function and they evaluated that before and after the exercises, and of course they measured these in the standard ways with isometric contractions, concentric and eccentric peak torque, the range of motion, as well as the soreness of the people. And these are the standard things that most of you uh, understand from Cybex testing. And we did a lot of Cybex testing in the in the 80s with isokinetic torque uh, curves, and I really loved Cybex and was involved in really the first grouping using the trunk flexion extension and the torso rotation machines. I think that they're just the best uh, best things. And some of you people have them. They're a little bit expensive, but really uh, pretty pretty marvelous. Well, what they were able to do is they looked at the body fat measurements as well as the very important resting energy expenditure uh, types of uh, evaluations. They looked at, of course, lipids, and they looked at carbohydrate oxidation, rates, and uh, and they also measured things that are happening in the blood from lipoprotein levels uh, and the uh, apolipoprotein profiles, uh, general lipids, glucose, insulin, and the glycosylated uh, hemoglobin and creatinine kinase. So pretty interestingly, they found that the uh, eccentric exercises, this once-a-week deal, increased the resting energy expenditure. How good is that? 
Well, not only did it increase the resting energy uh, expenditure, it did a whole load of other things. They found that the um, the the fat oxidization uh, was increased almost 10%, and they found that the eccentric exercises improved the blood lipid, lipid profile even after one week or after one session, of course. So really, really uh, pretty interesting uh, things that we find um, that only 30 minutes of eccentric exercise was sufficient to improve health risk factors. Well, everyone can really do that, or there's a greater probability that people will do a single session once a week than they're going to do a whole load of them. So it might be a very good idea for us to consider uh, putting this to the test. So what are we looking at? We know, of course, that people should exercise, and we try to get people to walk and do a variety of things, and we find it even difficult to do it ourselves. So uh, we find in our society people are just very, very busy, especially in the United States more so than Europe, and our lifestyle is such that we are largely sedentary, or if we're not sedentary, on our leisure time we do sedentary things like watching TV, going to the movies, watching sporting events rather than playing the individual uh, sporting events. So we have guidelines for health promotion, and these guidelines say that you need to exercise, and exercise is, is integral in your life, and you have to make it that way. But how do you start with patients? How do you get them motivated? It's very difficult to motivate someone to just change their lifestyle immediately, but easier to give them one session. You can also do the one session in your office under supervision and make sure that the people can comply. So we know that if everybody, if all of society exercised very, very well, then we're going to have decreased uh, mortality, we're going to have increased integrity of health, and specifically in regards to the uh, coronary artery disease. We know that coronary artery disease can be defeated by exercise, and we know that there is premature death from coronary artery disease. So it is probable that if everybody exercised, that the death rate from coronary artery disease would decrease. The big one, of course, is type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes can be defeated by exercise, and uh, we could knock that down probably 75% with simple exercises. So what do we talk about exercises, and what can we instruct our patients of the important differences in the types of things they might be able to do? And, of course, we see on TV a variety of advertisements from you know, shake your booty to five-minute abs and eight-minute abs and two-minute abs. Which one do you take? Do you take the Thai bow? Do you do some dancing? Do you do Zuma? Do you do Pilates? There are so many different choices. So let's categorize them into the two major types of exercises that are available for us, uh, for our society, and of course, for our patients. And if we look at them in two main categories, we're really going to be looking at resistance types of exercises as well as endurance exercises and everything really will fall into these uh, categories. Now there's obviously difference in the two types of physical activities from resistance or lifting weights to aerobic type of exercise uh, or endurance types of exercises. So both of them are going to have some benefits 
uh, to all of us, and this has been well studied in the literature, and it is um, pretty well a agreed concomitant that uh, people that exercise regularly doing either the endurance or the resistance exercises, they're less likely to become fat. Uh, they are less likely to develop abnormal lipid profiles, coronary artery disease, uh, sarcopenia, and of course, uh, type 2 diabetes. So when we look at the resistant exercise programs that people can do, most people have access to gyms and many insurance policies, especially the HMOs or PPOs, find that paying for a subscription to a gym is markedly cheaper than paying for the consequences of not going to the gym itself. And this is a very exciting, of course, to, to everybody. But certainly in our area, we have major gyms that are owned by the, by the uh, HMOs, and they encourage people to go there. And then we have the pay-for-service gyms like Gold's Gym and Valley's and a variety of other, uh, other sorts of deals. And so what do people do at these, uh, at these gyms? They've got sophisticated equipment, largely the Cybex, the Nautilus types, and a whole load of knockoffs on those that allow a dynamic repetition of motor activities that will both cause a lengthening and a shortening of muscle action. So that we're going to look at repetitions that will load the muscle concentrically, causing a shortness of the muscle, and eccentrically, which loads the muscle when the muscle is lengthening. And it is this type of lengthening that was studied by uh, Paschalis and his group in, in Greece. So when we look at a concentric muscle activity, this is going to happen when you have the muscle shortening to lift the load, such as when you have a weight in your hand and you uh, flex your arm and contract your biceps doing curls. Eccentric muscle action, on the other hand, occurs when the muscle lengthens. So we can look at uh, concentric contraction is largely used to lift the load. The muscle shortens and becomes more, uh, more efficient on that. The eccentric muscle action occurs when the the muscle lengthens and it causes a lowering of load. Uh, and you see this, for instance, when you take the uh, curl and you and you go down. And the variable resistant machines have different loads at different lengths of the individual muscle. Now, if you look at us out in the boonies and walking around the fields and doing things that humans were designed to do, we obviously affect motor activity that involves both uh, concentric and eccentric types of contraction. Simply walking up the stairs is really going to work your quadriceps uh, concentrically, whereas if you walk down the stairs, then you're going to load the quadriceps eccentrically. So you've got a choice of different types of activities uh, that you can do. Now, if you look at uh, the type of labors that we do, if you're picking up your oh, shopping or you're picking things out of the trunk or picking the kid out of the out of the crib or uh, whatever you're going to do, you know, going to uh, a party and picking up all the presents from the people that love you, you're really going to be looking at these whole body uh, concentric uh, types of actions. And of course, whole body uh, eccentric actions would be associated with uh, putting the, uh, the case of goodies 
back down uh, on the floor or, uh, or, or lowering your child into a car seat or something like that. So there's been a lot of interest in the, um, I guess, in the scientific community at large uh, on these types of exercises and comparing them as to their efficiency and their consequences uh, that would look at the benefits of doing eccentric or concentric types of contractions. So the methodology that one used is to use an isokinetic dynamometer, uh, and the dynamometers that are classically used are, in my mind, best on the on the Cybex machines, and they will uh, really allow us to isolate muscle groups and to really limit the motion by changing the amount of resistance by giving uh, either a concentric or an eccentric uh, exercise. So when we look at isokinetic dynamometers, basically what happens is, is that if you can't move the limb as fast as the dynamometer is set, you have no resistance whatsoever. Whereas if the dynamometer is set at a different speed, uh, then if you can accelerate to that speed, you will have proportional resistance. So it is possible to develop uh, speeds that are so quickly in, uh, in one direction that the person has no resistance, whereas they have resistance in another direction. And as a consequence, it's very easy to load the muscle either eccentrically, causing lengthening, or concentrically, causing, um, causing shortening. So when we look at the different activities, we can look at uh, giving a person a maximum of voluntary contraction, and we can isolate the speed so that they can't go faster than that individual speed. And of course, using the dynamometers, such as in the Cybex machines, uh, you can reproduce exactly the types of, of exercise. So that's where most of the study has been carried out in these types of equipment. And it's just rich. You can spend the rest of your life just reading that. We also know that there has been a great deal of attention that looks at the the effect of uh, both concentric or eccentric uh, resistant exercises on the strength of muscle and, of course, into human performance, largely in, in sports. Now, uh, what's happened before the Greek study, no one really had examined the effect of eccentric only versus concentric only exercises because most of us do both of them in most of the exercises that we do individuals will do one movement in one plane which is concentric and another movement in another plane which was eccentric and what Tashalis and these people did was they looked at uh, the effect of one versus the other the eccentric loading uh, versus concentric uh, loading now, most of the exercise studies that you will review are going to use multiple exercise sessions per week. And some people will exercise twice a week or three times a week or five times a week. And it's very interesting to say, hey, what is the effect of only doing one bout of exercise using an isolated movement that would lengthen the muscle once a week? So when we look at different uh, activities that we can visualize. A lot of them didn't do full uh, eccentric or concentric types of loading. For instance, people will walk up or down a hill, and 
this type of of uh, walking or hiking is shown to look at to changes in insulin uh, resistance or blood lipid profiles. But this is after walking pretty well every day, or at least you know five days a week with a couple of days off. So when we look at the uh, walking in plains up and down hills, what is it? Is it the concentric portion of it, or is it the eccentric portion of the exercise that really gives the uh, beneficial effects? We know that downhill hiking has a very strong aerobic component, and that when we look at the increased resting energy uh, expenditure and lipid oxidation rates and improved lipid profiles, uh, individuals will be known to improve with eccentric only uh, exercises. So what happens? Do you need to do a lot of it or do you need to, to do a little bit of it? Well, when we look at both eccentric and concentric types of contractions, both of them are going to activate very distinct molecular pathways, uh, both in animal studies and, of course, in us, in humans. So that when we look at our skeletal muscle, the effect of eccentric training is greater than concentric training for liver-type insulin like growth factor 1 and mechanogrowth factor, which is, of course, the positive regulators of muscle growth. So the eccentric is better for those. And these differences can, can really allow us to, to adapt our prescription of exercises and lifestyle changes to patients to use different uh, modalities of exercises and uh, different types of uh, contracting. Well, it, when we look at uh, eccentric exercise, if you load the muscle and lengthen it, then usually you're going to have muscle function that can be changed uh, up to a week, uh, a week's period of time. And most of the changes that you're going to be able to see after eccentric loading occurs in the resting energy expenditure. And this, of course, is very, very uh, exciting for us to be able to, to realize. Now, when we look at that resting energy expenditure, we also have changes with eccentric loading that has been shown previously by Pashalis and his group uh, to have changes in substrate oxidation and the blood lipid profile is going to change again after an acute eccentric exercise session. So, when you look at exercise and you only do it once a week, and if you do it very vigorously for half an hour, uh, you can get some great changes. Now, it's interesting that Pachalis and his group chose women uh, as subjects in the study because most studies are usually done with men and women or just with, with men. So when we look at the activities in... Uh, women, there's a whole load of differences that you might see that could be associated with sex-dependent effects on exercise-induced muscle injury. We know that women, for instance, have a greater probability of having anterior cruciate ligament injuries than do, than do men, and perhaps the inflammatory consequences to their muscle and metabolism may be uh, a little bit different. But in any event, uh, they looked at uh, a chronic um, weekly bouts of eccentric-only exercise, and they thought that the exercise would produce distinct mode of action-dependent effects on the function of the, of the muscle. 
they thought that they would see changes on the resting energy expenditure. They thought that they would have changes in blood lipid profiles and insulin resistance, and in fact, they actually did. So it really is pretty uh, pretty exciting. How did they how did they measure the resting energy expenditure? This is something I thought was very interesting and something that we can all do. They estimated uh, the uh, resting energy expenditure and the substrate oxidization by having the the um, the subjects in the study laying down on their on their uh, back in a very comfortable bed and. They used indirect calorimetry for 40 minutes by an open circuit dilution method using a metabolic cart. And you can get these from Sensormedics in uh, Yorba Linda, California. They did this after people were resting for half an hour and they were just told to relax, not to breathe too fast or, or not go to, to sleep. So they used a gas analyzer, they calibrated it and uh, away they went. They, cal they calculated the energy expenditure using uh, the Weir occasion, and this was expressed in kilojoules over uh, 24 hours. So they did this at the same time every day. They did it in the morning, and they did this uh, before they pulled some blood, and uh, away they go. Now, when they looked at uh, blood collection, they pulled the blood collection after they did the resting measurement of their energy expenditure by looking at these individual gases, and you can imagine that they check the usual things we're going to check, their total cholesterol, the serum, uh, uh, triacylglycerols, uh, they looked at the uh, HDL cholesterol, HDLC, of course, etc., etc. So the, the classic things that you're going to be able to, uh, to look at. They also compared eccentric loading versus concentric loading, of course, before they could make some changes. The one was better than the other. And what they found was that muscle function is changed by both concentric and eccentric loading, of course, but the modifications were greater after the eccentric exercise than concentric exercise. And by the eighth week, the uh, concentric exercise generally didn't induce any muscle function, whereas the eccentric exercise was going to have uh, significant uh, changes in, in muscle function. So. Uh, both eccentric and concentric contractions are going to increase muscle strength, but the resting isometric torque as measured with the Cybex, it was going to increase more uh, with the eccentric group compared to the concentric group, so that the improvement in uh, resting activity is such that the concentric group is going to have a greater increase in resting concentric torque and lower increases in eccentric torque compared with an eccentric group, and of course, uh, vice versa. So some very interesting activities because most of most of us will look at doing physical activity. We'll know that it's going to be beneficial, but how do we do it? We want to not develop these different metabolic syndromes and chronic diseases, but how can we do it the most effectively? What are the things that you can tell your patients to? be able to do because you know it's very difficult uh, for you to get them to do anything at all, never mind five days of exercise. So brief bouts of exercises, uh, do they work? Is it going to change people's lives? And uh, certainly uh, we know now that yes, they do. And even if you only 
do this brief exercise for 30 minutes once a week, there's some significant uh, changes. And the changes are most with eccentric training, and this markedly increases the muscle strength and the performance of the person. It maximally increases the resting energy expenditure of the patient, which is absolutely fantastic. And it does it statistically greater than concentric exercises. And well, this could be due to the greater muscle malfunction that follows eccentric exercises versus a concentric. So a greater change in muscle function with an eccentric load. Now, why is this going to be? Well, probably because of the increased rate of muscle protein uh, synthesis. So muscle protein synthesis increases for about 48 hours after you have uh, a session of eccentric exercise. This is pretty darn impressive, I think. And when we look at a variety of other uh, studies and we take into consideration that people just don't have the time to do things, an eccentric loading might be markedly better. Well, we know that when it comes to insulin resistance, we can increase insulin resistance with uh, acute eccentric exercises. And this has been uh, found before in many different types of uh, studies. And in fact, um, it was found in this study as well, where the uh, individual eccentric exercise not only increased the insulin resistance, but it reduced the glucose disposal rates and increased the plasma insulin level. So um, individuals that have a, uh, a single bout of 30 minutes of eccentric loading of muscles are going to increase their glucose and insulin levels as a result of increased uh, levels even after the first bout of eccentric exercise. So that is really, I think, uh, pretty wild. Um, and the, the changes occur after, you know, a few weeks. So what about the lipid and uh, lipoprotein profiles? Well, uh, both acute and chronic eccentric exercises are going to modify the levels of lipids and lipoproteins, whereas concentric exercise just doesn't do it. So this is really, really super, and many people will enter into uh, exercise programs because they want to change their blood lipids. Interestingly, the concentric exercise doesn't do it, so you need to have the eccentric types, and if it's the eccentric loading that, that lowers the, uh, the activity of, of lipids and lipoproteins, then why even bother with the concentric uh, changes? So this is uh, pretty, pretty darn excited, and of course, uh, individuals will increase their muscle activity and their muscle uh, performance. So when you look at the consequences of eccentric training versus other types of training, is eccentric training better? Well, uh, it, it is probably better. It's probably superior to classical modes of training. So uh, the classical modes of training, resistance, aerobic exercises, three to five times a, a week, hey, the eccentric uh, loading seems to be uh, markedly better. Now, you know that there are recommendations by the American College of Sports Medicine that says that people should do repetitive types of exercises two to three times a week for all the major muscle groups. And it's shown in this study here that, hey, you don't have to really uh, do this, that a lower frequency per week 
is going to have a very, very significant effect on a variety of, uh, of different concomitants. So what are we looking at in regards to our prescription of exercises to society? Uh, basically, if you can do low frequencies, you got more time, you're probably going to do it more. And this low frequency of eccentric exercise and, and the short duration, doesn't take very much time, is really going to give you a whole lot of practical advantages over any other type of physical activity. So when you start people, let's do the eccentric types of loading. We find that individuals that will do daily activities of life and do exercises that contain eccentric exercises, uh, that they're going to uh, have, have an easy time to, to pick simple things to do. Now, what can you do? Well, bench stepping, downhill walking, uh, or really when you're looking at a variety of other things, let's put the emphasis on the negative phase. And a lot of people, if they're doing treadmill work, will elevate the treadmill and go like a bat out of hell, whereas it would probably be markedly better to, to walk downhill now that we realize the differences in this individual uh, study. So uh, I think that this is the first investigation that is telling us about the benefits of eccentric only uh, exercises, and I think a lot of other people are really going to be jumping on the, uh, the bandwagon. The health-promoting effects are really, really important. Uh, of course, the eccentric loading causes more muscle damage initially than concentric loading, but you get over that uh, very, very well. Uh, 30 minutes of eccentric exercises in a two-month period of time causes very, very statistical changes and may be able to prevent uh, diabetes and coronary uh, heart disease. So here you have it. I think it's really worthwhile to look at. Also, it might be very, very interesting uh, to, to look at uh, why, for instance, uh, sit-ups or crunches uh, seem to do better on back activity than the concentric back extension exercises. And it's something that I really had a hard time figuring out. Why would sit-ups strengthen your back? And perhaps it is because of that eccentric loading that is, uh, that is going on. So really some exciting things, and let's put it to the test and try it. I'd like to look at the measurement posture graphically of individuals that are doing eccentric exercises uh, versus concentric exercises in their stability coefficients over a period of time. Okay, super. Well, let's listen to some tunes, and I'll speak to you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on carrickinstitute.com.